Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to Stand Up, Speak Up, a podcast dedicated to spreading awareness about issues that usually get swept under the rug. I'm your host, Carlos Dimas Tolstoy, and this episode is brought to you by Wearable Therapy by Toki. Today, we'll get to know Shelly DeRoche. Shelly's friends and family describe her as kind, happy, caring, smart, and brave. She's 5'2", 141 pounds, with light brown hair and hazel eyes. And Shelly hasn't been seen since January 2016. Shelly didn't live a normal life. In fact, she lived what police call a high-risk lifestyle, their way of referring to somebody who was addicted to drugs or involved in sex work. That may be why it took so long for them to issue a missing persons report, a decision that deeply frustrated her friends and family, who took it upon themselves to knock on doors, spread flyers, and post to social media, doing everything they could to help find Shelly. Last reported sighting of Shelly was January 5th, 2016 in London, Ontario, Canada, in the area of Hamilton Road, an area she frequented well known for its street-level sex trade. When first breaking the story of her disappearance, London's newspaper, the London Free Press, respected the wishes of Shelley's family and friends and did not mention the nature of her lifestyle. They hoped she would show up soon without the need to cast her in a negative light or alter the public's perception of who she was or what might have happened. Shelley's involvement in the sex trade had already been widely discussed on social media, and it was no secret in the community. So once police finally issued a missing persons report, the newspaper shared the full story as well. While police haven't made a connection between her disappearance and her lifestyle, it can't be ruled out. Shelley is one of three London women who lived a high-risk lifestyle to go missing in recent years. In this series, we'll go beyond the news reports and Facebook posts, hearing from Shelley's friends and family, the London police, and criminologist Mike Artfield. Today in part one, we'll get to know Shelley, the story of her life told by her sister and two lifelong friends. The four grew up together, sharing similar experiences, and have all tried to move on and deal with their past in different ways. Shelley's disappearance has led them to revisit some troubling memories and share them with us in hopes of spreading the story and bringing Shelley home, or at least solving the mystery. We start with Shelley's sister, Laura. What was your mom like? She struggled with parenting and therefore she just turned to CAS to take over care because she just struggled financially and had mental health issues and she was a very like violent person towards Shelly, non-supportive wasn't concerned about school or our future. Were you guys ever in the same foster families? For a while, we were in a few of the same ones. And then uh, as my older sister 
got older, she was separated, and then it was just uh, me and Shelly that just stayed together. They kept us um, together in the same home because they thought it would be better for us. Would Shelly and your older sister, would you guys talk about your past or, or not talk about it? Okay, so myself, I don't really tell people my past, but as for, like, Shelly... She really struggled in that area. She would constantly talk about the past and and the situations that happened and why she possibly could have ended up the way she is. And I think that she couldn't get over what happened. She just struggled with it. Did you ever make peace with your mom? Did Shelly make peace with your mom? We always stayed in contact with our mom, like, throughout the whole time. Like, like we never disowned her because of what she did to us. We'd always visit her, and we never disrespected her. We accepted the way she was because she couldn't help it, like... She couldn't help the things that she did, right, to us. And we respected that. For you guys to show such, like, love and forgiveness and kindness talks a lot about what Shelly's personality was like as well as yours. Right. How was it for you when Shelly got into drugs or started to went downhill? How, how was that for you and your emotions and trying to deal with all that? Well, when Shelly got into drugs it was like devastating I was like okay you need to stop and I would just constantly be on her trying to encourage her to get away from from the drugs and it was really really hard for me actually and I just continuously would would remind her and one day I just came to realize that Anything I say or anything I do is not going to help her. Like, she just would not get away from that lifestyle. And I tried really, really hard. And then in the end, I kind of just put it on the back burner and said, okay, do what you're doing because I can't let this get to me emotionally. Like, worrying about where you are at night worrying about everything. I just couldn't do it anymore. But it still affected my life as far as every day I would be like, have to worry and take care of Shelly, worrying, is she gonna phone today? I wonder if she's okay. I did what I could do for her though. Like I would always make sure she was taken care of, like if she had food or clean clothes, or if she called me at three in the morning, I would pick her up in a snowstorm, bring her to a safe place and let her have a shower. And, but then she would just return to the same situation like a couple days later. Do you think that the system set her up with failure? I think that addiction took part of her life. Like she couldn't break away from that lifestyle. 
And I don't think she had enough support to take her away from that life. Did she get married, Deborah? Did Shelly marry? No. Do you get to see Shelly's kids or how are they dealing with all this? She has three children and she loved them with all her heart. One's adopted and the other one is with her father and the other one is older and he's on his own. I'm in contact with uh, her son quite a bit. How is he dealing with all this? He's not uh, saying much because he kind of struggles with dealing with why he went to CAS and he's kind of angry about that, about his mom's situation, like angry about her, her addiction. So he kind of doesn't really have any sympathy right now. Do you remember your last conversation with her? She came over and uh, she was actually, she had not been doing drugs for about a week. And she was, during that week, she had contacted me at least twice. She came over and she was sitting at the table. I said to her jokingly, I said, what is wrong with you? You've been like hanging around a lot and you're staying off the drugs. And she looked at me and she said, I was told by a police officer that if I don't stay off the drugs, that something serious is going to happen. And I just didn't think of anything of it until all this happened. I feel like I've gotten to know Laura the best. I've we spent many evenings on the telephone, on Facebook chat, looking through research, looking through information, and discussing not only Shelley's life, but what happened the day she went missing. Laura is an amazing researcher. She has kept every document, piece of information, message, Facebook post that Shelley has ever done. And I feel for Laura, she struggled with her sister and her sister's drug addiction, but she really, really misses her. Even though Shelley made her life complicated and Laura many times was driving around the streets looking for Shelley in the middle of the night or being there when Shelley needed a shoulder to cry on or someone to take her somewhere, Laura and her share such a connection from their troubled past. And I just want to wrap my arms around her and say, you did the best you could do. You were an amazing sister. You're listening to Stand Up, Speak Up, and this is part one in our multi-part series, Finding Shelley DeRoche. We continue now speaking with one of Shelley's lifelong friends, Elizabeth. Shelley and Elizabeth met in a group home as young girls. The two were friends and kept in contact right up until Shelley's disappearance. The one thing that I came to learn about Elizabeth is she has a really big heart. And Elizabeth has had to deal with a lot of trauma and a lot of horrific experiences in her lifetime. And it's also, just like Laura, very hard for her to be open and talk about her past as she's trying to move past it. Chatting with her and getting to know her, I felt a deep sense of loyalty that she has for Shelley. And it runs so deep. 
I also think she feels that Shelley protected her when they were teens and that she needs to now protect and look after Shelley. We'll learn just how far Shelley was willing to go to protect the people she loved. So Elizabeth shares a tragic and troubling story. But first, Elizabeth tells us more about Shelley's home life before the foster care system. She was abused by her mother and a really dysfunctional family, and she was raised in care. How would you describe her mom? Oh, her, her mom was a, an alcoholic, and she was really volatile. He just didn't know what her mood was going to be like. It could change so fast and in the blink of an eye. What about Shelley's dad? Uh, she never knew her dad. Maybe explain how Shelley, after her mom abused her so much and put her in so many at-risk situations, how she went back and took care of her. Yeah, when her, her mom was dying. You know, Shelley had no money. She just lived on, on a disability check. And she never got a driver's license. So when her mom was dying, Shelly's using her money to pay for cabs for back and forth to her mom. She stayed in the hospital with her. She's picking up her medication. And her mom is still being a bitch. <laughs> she sent me messages saying, oh, Liz, my mom is dying. She's going to die from heart failure. But you won't believe this. She still just won't shut up sort of thing like she's just still being a bitch but I asked her sis Shelly isn't that hard I feel bad because I see you know the shady things that had been done to her for her life but she never concerned herself with what people other people are doing how old were you when you met Shelly nine did you become instantly best friends like what was your feeling when you first yeah. met her we were instant best friends why do you think she became your best friend what was it about her because she's a good friend. She's loyal and she's fierce and she, even if no one's going to listen to her, she's still going to stick to the truth. You can depend on her as a friend. She's my everything. I completely trust her. So you guys are young girls. You're living in a group home. You keep running away from the group home, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was a horrible place to live and nobody cared. Nobody cared. We used to call it the hallway, that we lived in a hallway, because it was this group home on top of children's aid offices or something on Woodward Avenue. And it was just a hallway with rooms off the hallway, right? Very sterile environment. There's, there's no happiness in there. And then you got <laughs> separated? Well, just different times. Like, whenever we were getting in trouble together, they would try to separate us at that point. So maybe one of us would go to detention and the other one, they wouldn't press charges. Like, just things like that. What would you guys usually get in trouble for? Shelly didn't really get in trouble except for running away. She didn't do things. Like, she wasn't bad behavior that way. I was. So did Shelly go to school? Did she get her... She didn't finish school. I'm, I don't know... What grade she formally finished, but maybe grade nine, if that. I didn't even finish grade nine. Okay, so you and Shelly are pretty young. Like, what are you, 13, 14? Yeah. What did you see your options being as what you were going to do with your with your life? <laughs> you know, I 
it's not like we really had plans, but when people would tell us things like, you know, you can't do this or this is going to happen to you, we never felt like that applied to us. I mean, one of the stories you've shared with me with about Shelley, which is a difficult story, so you, you need to be comfortable sharing it, but it talks to a lot of Shelley's protector role. Yeah. We went to Toronto. The first time we ran away together to Toronto, we got arrested within minutes. It didn't take very long at all. I just remember basically getting to the middle of Toronto feeling like we were downtown. And then the police pulled over and wanted to know what we were doing out so late because they had a curfew, I think, at the time. So the second time we went to Toronto, there was just, we just didn't think, and I don't know why. We were walking down the road and a cab pulled up with a couple men in there and they asked us if we wanted to go to their place. And we said, yeah. Didn't, didn't know them or anything. Didn't even ask them what their names were. So we got in the cab with these people, went to their place. They're smoking cocaine, like freebasing cocaine. And that was the first time we ever did it. I don't, I don't remember getting high. I just remember thinking, why do people do this? Like, it doesn't do anything to you, right? I don't know, maybe we did it wrong, you know. At some point, they had friends come over. And when their friends came over, we left with them and went to a different apartment. And we're doing drugs. And we just kind of, I don't know what we thought, but we just kind of thought, you know, and if we didn't want to hang out, we could just leave sort of thing. At some point, the drugs ran out. And the one guy, he had to grab a two by four and he was smacking it into his other hand, right? And he said to us something like, I don't care which one of you, but one of you has got to pay for this shit. And then, oh, my heart just fell, and it, I'm sure it was the same for Shelly. Then we realized, oh, my God, we were scared. I was still a virgin. How old were you now? What? 14. So uh, we just started crying, right? And she said, Liz, it's okay, it's okay, Liz, I'll go, I'll go. But I didn't want her to go. I felt so bad. We didn't know what to do. And I can still see her. She's just like kind of stepped in front of me. She goes, it's okay, Liz, it's okay, I'll go. Right? And I didn't want the guy that I was left with. He just put his hand over my mouth, right? And he whispered into my ear. He said, I'm not going to touch you. I'm not going to hurt you. But you have to go along with whatever's happening. Because I'm I'm worried about my friend, what he's going to do sort of thing, right? So we were in the bathroom on the floor under the sink and Shelly's on the other side of the wall. And I can hear her getting beaten and raped and screaming. And I couldn't, there was nothing I could do. I couldn't do anything to help her. So at some point she came out And now we're scared. We didn't know what to do. We were like frozen. We were afraid to try to leave. We we didn't know what to do. Just try to act normal, right? And then they they said they put us up on charge 
which means that's what a pimp will say to a girl who now works for him. And stupid us, we went in a cab with them because we just didn't, we just didn't know how else to leave, right? So we had them drop us off at someone's house that she knew and uh you know I didn't I didn't tell her anything happened to me that day but it's fair to say that she assumed so right but I didn't know how to tell her like I felt so so sad it took me about 10 years and about, after about 10 years I I told her one day it's like Shelly you know that day you know I'm I'm sorry, but nothing happened to me that day. I just didn't know how to tell you. And she she just said, it's okay. She was not phased or upset or anything, but haunted me my whole life. Do you think that Shelley had many choices open to her in general being a teen runaway i mean what were some of the options that <laughs> there there are no options because there were no effective interventions nobody would listen to us it doesn't matter if you don't like where you're living or you know it, it just doesn't matter nobody's going to listen to you i mean one of the things i hear when i learn more about shelley is that she was kind of also, a, you know, a mama bear, and she was very kind to the other girls that, that were forced like, into the system. I never knew anybody who didn't like her, and such a cliche, you hear that so much when people say about people they know, but she didn't have enemies. She just didn't rub people that way, ever. I mean, she did quite a few brave things in her time. One was she challenged a police officer for, for poor treatment, right? And she actually went to the courts for him, which is amazing. Yeah, and no. she went up against her, her pimp and, and put him in jail. So she definitely was an advocate. She always was going to do the right thing. You know, all these years later, I had kind of a different perspective on, on how that all went down. But at the time, we... You know, we were just doing the right thing to do because I, I guess because we were told that was the thing to do. I don't know, but. So how would you say, and I think it's really important for you, Elizabeth, to talk about the difference between being trafficked, being a sex worker, and maybe educate the audience on that. At what point was being trafficked the reality of what was going to happen? You just knew, okay, you know what, I might as well just put up with it because, because this is my life. the place that we were staying at. I was frequented by pimps and, and working girls and stuff like that. And it's, she had been introduced to trafficking before I was on a different, different times that she had gone to Toronto. And it just got to the point where if we were going to stay there, we didn't really have a choice. We had to, we had to choose, they call it choosing up. You have to choose a pimp because if you can't just be out there independent. These girls are all have pimps. You can't just go out there with no pimp. If you go out there and nobody knows you, you're going to get jacked up and they're going to beat you. 
and then they're going to put you on charge. So you owe people money. You just can't walk walk down there, right? So me and Shelly, we were just kind of like, we just did what we had to do to take care of ourselves. It wasn't, I don't know how to explain it. It was just, we thought at the time anyways, it was better than, than where we lived. When the policemen would come around or the underage, did you feel they gave you choices that were realistic or did you? As an adult, I look back and I say, no, no, everybody has their own agenda. And their agenda was giving girls to sign on a pimp so they could get convictions. There was no intervention other than that. And like when we went through that court process, uh, they must have felt that we were telling the truth. But then when you go, when she went back to court about an officer who had been inappropriate with her, all of a sudden, you know, they didn't believe her. Now that got thrown out. It wasn't proven. And it just it shows me, like, everybody has their own agenda. Everybody has their own agenda. And that in some way, people are all profiting from trafficking. Well, what age would Shelly have been when she decided to turn in her pimp? We, she would She's probably 15. I think that was the same age. I mean, oh my God. You know what I mean? Like 15 years old. I can't imagine how scared I would have felt and nervous. How did well, she... We kind of, like, the police were getting us away one by one. And we didn't know it at the time, right? But when the first girl was arrested or whatever, and she didn't come back, then, you know, there was another girl. And... At the end, I was the last one. I was the last one to leave, and I just, I was just panic, constant panic, because you're afraid to do anything. I don't know how to explain it. Like we were never left alone, and now I'm the last one there. And he's telling me I've got to make all this money to pay for lawyers and stuff, and and I, I was afraid I wouldn't be able to go. I was afraid to try because I. You know, I didn't know where he was or who he's got watching. You know what I mean? Was your pimp upset? Was he saying, like, these girls are leaving, you better not do that? You know, he didn't beat us like that. You know, if I compare it to a lot of other situations, ours was not the worst. But it doesn't mean it was a good situation. So he, how did the police, how do they extract you? What do they do? Do they just go up to you in the street? They they walk around. They had a, it's called, I don't know if it's still operating but they had a special unit called the juvenile task force we called them jts and they would just wear plain clothes and they would walk up and down the stroll and just talk to talk to girls and give out their numbers right their little cards and uh they'd say who's your pimp and we'd say we don't have one and they go yeah yeah okay 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 that was that's how they got in you know so with Shelly, I mean, her chances, okay, so now she's 15, she's gone into the courts against her pimp, and now she's going up against a police officer, which is extremely brave back yeah. then. At that time, when that was going on, I was having my first child. So I might have, I'm sure she would have told me at the time, but I, I didn't remember this thing happening right until somebody else asked me about it she was like kind of left on her own because she she didn't leave Toronto even though we all like we went to court and people got put away 
she she was in love with Tito, his name was just another pimp, whatever, right? But to her, no, she was in love. So she she stayed in Toronto after every after the rest of us had left. How old would she have been now? Uh six well, sixteen, seventeen, something like that. And I know a lot of a lot of people don't understand the falling in love with your with someone that would, you know, traffic you and do those things. But maybe you can just explain to the audience how easy it is for girls to fall in love with the wrong guy. Because it's your ear. If you're hooking up or choosing somebody, it's only for three reasons: for sustenance, for security, or for safety. We're going to hook up with someone because we're afraid of what's going to happen if we don't, right? Or we know that if we do, we have it gives us a more stable environment to to live in or whatever, right? Or we need money. It's it's only for those three reasons, but you don't understand that then. Do you think that Shelley felt she had a voice? Uh, you know, that's kind of an interesting question because Shelly didn't live her life like a victim. Um, but I, I would say she didn't have a voice. But it's not, I don't know how to explain it. No matter what trauma happened to Shelly, she was, it just didn't, it didn't jade her. I've never known somebody with the ability like she has to just love and forgive. Do you think that Shelly got help over the years? Was there different organizations that supported her? Because I know she was quite involved with the women's shelter. Is that correct? Yeah, my sister's place. I mean, she had done different things, but nothing that ever changed her opportunities in life. If Shelly had had the right opportunities in life, and had grown up in a loving family and being in a safe environment, what do you think Shelly could have become? I just think she'd still be here. There was, uh, there's nothing about her that, that I would change. Do you think she would have been a great nurse? Do you think she would have been a great lawyer? She talked about being a nurse, you know. I, I don't know. I think she, she could have done whatever she, whatever she wanted, just like anybody else did. Our final guest for part one, Getting to Know Shelly, is another lifelong friend of Shelley's. We'll hear from her right after this. Just a quick interjection. I'm Zach Tolstoy, one of the founders of Stand Up Speak Up. Our podcast is just one part of the Stand Up Speak Up brand. We are supported by an online store of the same name where we sell a variety of artisan products. We have an ongoing blog series with over a dozen contributors, and we offer a series of interactive workshops. Throughout the different iterations of Stand Up Speak Up, our core message and purpose have always been the same. To create a site that allows our customers and us more opportunities to speak up about and support causes, organizations, and groups that we're passionate about and that of course could use additional support. My mother and I have learned about allyship over the years from what feels like a thousand and one places and people. We want to encourage members of this fantastic Stand Up Speak Up community to come along and learn with us. So along with our team, 
We created this workshop featuring videos, articles, and exercises that have really helped the two of us in our own journey towards allyship. Don't worry, it doesn't cost any money, and you don't need to make an account to access the information. We want to make our workshop as accessible as possible because we believe in our message and understand the importance of spreading awareness. The Ally Workshop is split into eight parts, including interactive quizzes and helpful videos. It's intended to introduce you to new skills and courses of action in the world of allyship. The workshop is easy to use and can be done entirely on your cell phone, tablet, or computer at your own pace, with each of the eight sections taking an average of about 15 minutes or so to complete, or a breezy couple hours on a Sunday afternoon. Welcome back to Stand Up, Speak Up, part one of our series, Finding Shelley DeRoche. We now speak with another of Shelley's lifelong friends, Penny. They also met at a young age and were in contact until Shelley went missing. We'll hear more about the life Shelley led after she was forced into sex work. And Penny will share some concerning insight from one of Shelley's clients. I've known Shelley since I was 14 years old. I'm also from London, Ontario. We've been friends right up until the day she disappeared. Um, I unfortunately moved out of town, so our visits were kind of less, they became less as we went. But when I went to the city, um, I seen her quite frequently, um, would have coffee and talk about her day. Um, she was going to school for a while, and um, another time she was she put herself into rehab, and we just talked about those kind of things. Um, Shelly is a, a loving, kind human being um, that I think was just dealt some pretty shitty cards. How did you guys meet when you were back in 13? Um, well, we had a lot of mutual friends. I also met her through, um, well, her and... Um, Elizabeth, Andrew, like there's a bunch of them that are actually in their group. Um, also through a detention facility. I was in a detention facility for um, an assault, at which time these girls had come in, but they had actually come in from Toronto. But I knew Shelly from London and what she got brought in kind of like stirred the whole unit and those kind of things. And we've just always been friends. And what do you think Shelly's struggles were? Like, why was she dealt kind of shitty cards? Shelly, in the very early teenage years, was introduced into prostitution, as some of them that are my friends were in that group. And she was pushed into there by the people that say they loved her most. I think for Shelly, abandonment is one. For two, maybe people just not understanding her and just labeling her. Do her kids know of her history? Everybody does. Um, Shelley's a very well-known human being in London. Very well-known. And I don't just say for the, the her choice of job or her being an addict. She just knows an abundance of people. And I didn't really realize how many people knew Shelley until I started screaming at the world where was my friend. Um, it seemed like every place I went, people knew her. Um, and people always said good things. Like even using her job as an example, they'd say like a lot of these working girls that come in here, she was the only one that never started a fight. She never, she never did any of that stuff. 
Like she wasn't hostile. She was, she was very meek, very mild compared to me, a very, very mild woman. Would you say that Shelly was a trusting person? Did she believe in the good in people or? Yes. Always looked for the better in people. She did work the streets, correct? She was more. And everybody knows it. Yeah. It's not like it's a secret. Did she work like the internet, like back, back page or was she? She probably dibbled and dabbled there, but no. Shelly was just always the girl that already knew a lot of these guys that picked her up. So she would just go to her local spot, which is by the fairgrounds um, at the Tim Hortons, and she knew these guys, and that's how she did her job. Or she'd get up and go to certain areas like Dundas and Adelaide or Hamilton and Maitland area, because those are the most known areas. And she would just walk the streets. But she was so non-confrontational that other girls that are working the streets um, kind of made things a little rough for her. So she decided, I'll get up at 6 o'clock in the morning before any of these girls are even on the street, make my money, and get out of there. So she would work from 6 till when? I don't. She'd work periodically through the day. Like some of these people she knew, um, some of these Johns, even she, she, they were friends, if that makes any sense. They, they became friends. She would hang out at some of their homes, sleep at some of their homes. And some of them were friends first and then became clients. Did you ever get to talk to any of these Johns? And um, I have a couple of them, yes. One particular gentleman, he, he knew an awful lot about Shelly, um, made it very clear she was troubled the last few months, like the drugs, she just wanted to get off the drugs, a lot of depression, I don't want to be like this anymore, and those kind of things, and she'd talk to him quite often, um, even Laura would take clothes to his house for her, even an older, older gentleman, but they had a bond, a friendship. How often would she contact you? Every other week, sometimes twice in a week, Facebook all the time. That was our easiest route because I bought a farm and Shelly didn't drive and I only drive and it's two hours drive to London, two hours drive home. The frequency didn't get to be as much, but Facebook all the time. It was was our lifeline together. What do the other girls say about her that that know her? That uh, I know one particular girl... um, they were at a place, and the girls, the girl was obviously on drugs, and she had passed out. But her money and a little clip had fallen out of her jacket. And another girl that was also getting high watched Shelly stick it back inside the girl's jacket. Like she was that kind of girl. Like Shelly was just never, never anything bad I've ever heard about her, other than she used drugs and that she was a working girl. Other than that, nothing. Bar attendants, bar staff, restaurants, pawn shops, you name it. Not one bad thing about her. Just a very meek and mild woman. I mean, when I look at Shelly's photos, I would never think she was a working girl. No. you, you um, If you just come to London and you didn't know, you would never know. Um, but unfortunately, she was so well-known in London that everybody knows. But if you didn't know her, you would you would never know. And the way she handles herself, the way she speaks, you would never think that. All three of the women we spoke with today share the common love of Shelley and the need to find her. However, we wouldn't be telling the whole story if we didn't mention that they all don't get along. A scroll through the History on Facebook page called Team Shelley shows obvious tension. 
mainly between Shelley's friends and family. This includes name-calling, accusations, and fighting. If you're interested, you can read the pages for yourself. We felt that this was important to point out, but the details are beyond the scope of this podcast. What's important are the efforts to find Shelley. That's where we begin next time, in part two. We'll take a closer look at the timeline of Shelley's disappearance, the efforts we made to find her, and why some people have been critical of the police response. Also, we take things into our own hands to try and gather some tips. That concludes Getting to Know Shelley, part one of Stand Up Speak Up's Finding Shelley DeRoche series. For a picture of Shelley, tip line numbers, and more, visit StandUpSpeakUpToki.com. Finding Shelley DeRoche continues next time. Thanks for listening to Stand Up Speak Up. Stay tuned after this song for bonus content. Thanks for staying through the entire song. That was Derek Clegg, Hell Has No Fury. This is Joel speaking, the editor and co-producer of this episode of Stand Up, Speak Up. And for your bonus content today, Carla actually visited London, Ontario and spent the night there as part of her research for this podcast series. I spoke with her afterwards to hear about why she went and what she discovered. I actually wanted to walk the streets that Shelley did and to go to the location that she was last seen at just for myself, like visually to kind of get an understanding for what Shelley's day-to-day life was kind of like and also meet the family like her sisters and just have like a real conversation and I wanted to meet with like all the different players just so when you meet somebody in person 
sometimes you can get, you know, build a better relationship faster. And plus you can get a better sense of, of what maybe areas I need to focus on. Or, I mean, I've never met Shelly. I've only known Shelly in photos. So when I first met Laura at the hotel, she looks like Shelly. It's a little bit unnerving. They're not like twins or anything. They're only 10 months apart, but there's definitely, you can tell they're sisters. And that to me was almost this strange, like kinship I had immediately right off the bat. You know, I just wanted to kind of hug Laura because I felt like there was something so familiar about her, I guess, because I've been studying her sister and I feel like I know intimate details about Shelly's life that sometimes I feel like maybe I shouldn't know those things or I'm intruding on somebody's privacy. And it's kind of a weird relationship because Shelly is like missing and we're trying to put the pieces together. And then their older sister, Tasha, she has a different father and she actually is, is Asian. So she looks very different from the other two girls that have the same dad. And Tasha is super sweet. You know, you meet somebody, you know, right away, they're real sweethearts. She wears her emotions on her sleeve and she is really struggling. She had many episodes of just breaking down and crying. And it was just a lot for her to take in. And sometimes I forget that we're talking about somebody that we don't know what happened to them. And I'm asking these really personal questions. And sometimes I forget that this is their sister we're talking about. So when I'm asking intrusive questions and they start crying, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm bringing up perhaps bad memories or good memories. I think what really became clear is they had a really sad childhood. And when I was talking to Laura about her childhood, she just said that she always wants to write a book about it. Um, and the beginning of the book would be like her and Shelly that are pretending that someone's driving them off to a better home. You know, so as a kid that's six or, or younger to be daydreaming and playing a game of we're in a car and we're going to we're going to get to leave our mom because she's so abusive. Just to jump back to Tasha for a moment, what was the relationship like between her, Shelly and Laura at, uh, at the younger age? Because we heard the interview with Laura, so we have a good understanding of her and Shelly's relationship. But where was Tasha and all this? Did she have a similar life, uh, troubling childhood growing up? Or was she kind of separated from the other two sisters? Can you tell us a bit more about that? She was the eldest. And so she would do a lot of raising of Laura and Shelly. And she definitely felt like a mother figure. But when Shelly and Laura ran away, you know, it was really hard for her to kind of manage manage them because all three of them were in the foster care system, but not always in the same home because they split kids up. So sometimes Tosh would be in a completely different home than the other girls. And Tosh seems, I don't want to say has her life together because I don't, I don't want to judge anybody's life, but she seems to be in a, you know, I met her husband. He seems very, you know, loving and, and they seem like a very good team, a good couple together. She seems definitely very grounded, very fact-based. She opens up. 
She's, she's very, very warm, you know, gives a great hug. And Laura kind of stood back when I hugged her. She, she let me do it, but I don't think it was comfort. Whereas Tasha hugged me back and it was a great hug. Like when she hugged me, it felt like a great hug. So I think that she distanced herself from the family because she just wanted to not get caught up in all the drama. So I think she has a sense of guilt that maybe she wasn't more involved, but they did try to help Shelly over and over and over and over again. Thanks again for listening to Stand Up Speak Up. You can find more at StandUpSpeakUpToki.com. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at ivisonvoice.com slash podcast.